Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and I'm joined by... Andy Germiuga. Emilio Diaz. Alright. Last week, uh, we put out an episode about the New York Film Festival, but my wi-fi at the airbnb i was at was not working and also i still had yet to see a number of movies and so we're back to grill me on uh my my final week in new york we're grilling jesse today because because she stayed way longer than the rest of us yeah, uh, and saw a lot more things. Uh, and... I don't feel like I saw a lot more things. I feel like a lot of that time I stayed was spent just like loafing around. Sure, I mean, it any was other a, highlights from, from it was that a week weird that... final week. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I saw the the triumphant in person return of the George Lucas talk show. That's right. Uh, yeah, you went to Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I didn't do a whole lot else at Comic Con. Uh, I said hi to uh, past guest Griffin Newman. That was nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sounds like George Lucas talk show panel will be out soon. It's yeah. uh, quite a quite a chaotic thing. Sure. I mean, they were all in, like, bubbles, right? They all, like... <laughs> yeah, and they uh, do not hear very well. Sure, I can imagine. And we could only hear them if they were shoving their microphone under the bubble. Great. Yeah. Sounds like they were uh, observing yeah. social hygiene. Wow. <laughs> Fuck you. Come on. Not gonna, not gonna let me give my other highlight. <laughs> all right we'll We're save that here. for the end are we rushing nope. what's the rush all right let's do it all right all right social hygiene uh, social hygiene which yes. andy talked about a little I bit, talked about a little uh, bit. Yeah. but i also saw um yeah it's pretty good it's just like uh um you know a bunch of people talking right that's like yeah it's all like conversations and stuff um, he talked a lot about it, like, at the Q&A, like, yeah, how, you know, how he, making a comedy and that sort of thing, and, like, uh, how a yeah. conversational comedy like this, like, is interesting, especially when it's to non-native speakers of the language that it's filmed right. in is, like, an yeah. interesting, like, experiment to see how he's, it would be received. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. He's interesting yeah. to hear talk. Uh, yeah. Den- Denicote. Maybe we'll get him on Sunday. Maybe. Uh, he seems uh, pretty game to, to, to just talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I did have a few... Early on, I was like, ooh, is this a Laurent? But then he wasn't doing Laurent. Uh, it was mainly just the one guy right. talking to a bunch of ladies. Uh, sure. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's That's it's cool. good. I, I I'd recommend it. I don't have a lot to say about it. I might not have a lot to say about plenty of these things. Does we'll it see. have distribution? Do you don't think this think will be so. watchable? Um, Eventually. probably. It's the his sort of movies thing that, like will his mo- show up on movie someday or something his, like his that. His movies like... get distribution. He's like a name. Sure. That's um, nice. The yeah. souvenir part two. You are the only person who has not talked about it yet. On yeah. Um, you know, I feel like you probably covered it. It's good. It is good. Yeah. Outside um, noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Emilia, you want to plug your review of Il Buco? No? Uh, yeah. It. I wrote a review of Il Buco. It's on my letterbox. I tried to capture the experience of watching Il Buco and why I think yeah. Il Buco is a good movie. Yeah, uh, and we can, can say that that uh, Il Buco has been picked up by Grasshopper. Yeah, that's, right. that's true. Shout yeah, out to Grasshopper very exciting. for putting it uh, for getting it, putting it out. Yep, Se- seems very it. Put like it out a Grasshopper thing. Next year. Yeah, makes sense yeah. for them. Outside noise. Yes, this is the um, other thing that I have also seen. Yeah, uh, this is by Ted Fent, who. Uh, uh, is from Philadelphia, but uh, this is his first film that he has made in Germany. Uh, in German. Uh, yes, it is, is uh, almost exclusively in German. Mm-hmm. Which I was not he... prepared for. Was like, oh, oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, uh, he he has a very funny scene where he shows up and yes. initially talks in English, but then he's like, no, no, I speak German too. Uh, right. Then basically his his whole role is to come in and be annoying, which is funny. Yes. Uh. Um, but yeah, it's like sixty two minutes long. Yeah. Uh, it's um, yeah, I was. It starts off in New York, and I was like a little right. like it took me a while to sort of figure out like oh this is not all in New York like this is like <laughs> mostly in in Germany in various places. Um, and yeah, like there's like I think there's a few like really arresting scenes in it, like the the scene where they're doing like the mysticism thing with the necklace. I thought was like really mm-hmm. like captivating and interesting, and like just like a really interesting scene. Um, I'm not sure like it all added up to that much for me overall, um, but yeah, I, I liked it and I think it's like worth watching certainly. Yeah, Fent is someone who I've been, like, hearing about for a while, and I think he tends to make these, like, pretty short, pretty low-key movies, uh, and I, uh, would be, I I don't know, I feel like I don't have, like, a handle on what his deal is from this one movie, and I'm, like, interested in being, like, what's up with him? So maybe I'll finally, I feel like his other movies are probably on movie or something, uh, Yeah, uh, I mean, so it's, yeah, yeah, it looks good. It's, like, shot on, like, 16mm, right, or something like that. Like, it's grainy. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, it was yeah. It was projected on 16mm. That and a shorts program that I ta- we'll talk about later are the uh, things that I saw on film, which was yes. nice. I believe the, the James Baldwin short I saw before... Mm. Um, Chameleon Street was also shot on, projected on film. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. The Tale of King Crab. Yeah, um... I said on Letterboxd that the crab looks like a strawberry with legs. 
Um, sure. Uh, what else? I don't know. The crab's kind of cool. Is it it's, just it's, about a crab? Are there people? No, it? no. <laughs> it's about a. It's about a guy. The crab's only in the second half. Um, he like. Um, what is it? It's 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 in yeah it's it's like a two part thing where the first half is him in this like vill so it's it's framed with like these uh, old Italian guys telling this story um, and it's the first half is this guy in this village in Italy uh, and he just like is like a rascal and he is trying to make off with this guy's daughter. Uh, and then the se- and then he gets run out of town, and the second half is him and this crab trying to find treasure. Um, and it's maybe not as interesting as that sounds. I don't know how interesting I made it sound, but it's kind of just like, yeah, this is the tale of the king crab, I guess. Uh, yeah, there's not nothing about it like really sticks with me. Like the performance is solid, the it looks fine. I mean, again, the thing that sticks with me is that the crab looks like a strawberry with legs. Uh, very, very bug snacksy. Um, that's cool. Now I want to talk about Duras. Now, you're not saying, Emilio, that you want to talk about Duras, no, are you? there's a quotation marks around that, the thing he just no, said. <laughs> I mean, I do want to talk about Duras. Who's Duras? What, what, uh, Mar- Marguerite Duras is the uh, director of India Song, which I think I probably plugged earlier in the year. Uh, the Probably the best movie I have seen this year. Uh, certainly the best non-2021 movie I've seen this year. Uh... Yeah, and so this is, uh, she is not a character in this movie, but she is frequently mentioned. Uh, it is full, the the script is fully just the transcript of an interview that happened, uh, between, uh, Duras's partner in her later years, uh, Jan Andrea, and a journalist, uh, and it starts with him saying that, uh, the journalist is named, uh, Michelle Manchot and is played by, uh, Emmanuel DeVos, who's the, I guess, the bigger star, um, and yeah, this is directed by Claire Simone, who mostly does work in, uh, documentary, so it's interesting that this is you know, uh, kind of a hybrid film, and that it is sure. entirely yeah. like shot with actors, it's, I mean, yeah, but it's it's, it's, it's a, like documentary theater, right? So. Yeah, yes, uh, very much so. Uh, yeah, it's like there are times where it like there's a few like flashbacky things, but those mostly don't have dialogue, and then there's like a part in the middle where the journalist goes home. And you just see her at home, but I don't think there's any dialogue in that part. It's just, like, her sitting in her house. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's interest. It's quite interesting. Um, it's a very strange relationship that they have. He started out as a fan of her work, 
uh, um, and got to know her, and, like, there was, like, five years where, like, he would just send her letters, and he was like, I don't know if she's reading them, and then finally they meet and begin this relationship, and then the other thing is that he, like, identifies as a gay man, despite being in a sexual relationship with this much older woman. Uh, it's very, it's a very strange relationship, and an interesting movie just in terms of, like, trying to get the idea of, like, what does this guy think that this relationship is, and how is it affecting him, uh... Yeah, I I wonder I don't know if Jan Andrea is still alive or not actually. Uh I know he outlived Marguerite Duras. Uh yeah, he's no, he passed away in 2014. Uh So yeah, that's like 20 years after she passed away, I think. Uh so yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting movie, just in terms of, like, what is this fucked up thing that happened? Uh, yeah. And I think now we've got, uh, this net. So those, those three currents things were all yeah. on the same day, and then on the next day, uh, we've got a couple of movies that both me and Amelia saw. One of which yeah. I think we like a lot, and one of which is not that good. I, I talked about them both briefly on the last episode. Okay. But, I mean, I want to hear what you have to say because you have different... You have a different perspective on one of them and had a different, slightly more positive takeaway on the right. other one. But, yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of people who died in the early 2010s, the Velvet Underground. Sure, that is... Uh, yeah, Lou Reed passed away in 20... 20- 13, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so The Velvet Underground, uh, really phenomenal film by t- uh, Todd Haynes. I, th- it, I assume you mentioned that, like, it is kind of a movie about The Velvet Underground, but it's also very much a movie about the New York avant-garde scene in the 60s and, like, Andy Warhol and the people who were in his orbit, and the factory, um, but yeah, it's just, like, I mean, the main thing is just, like, it's, like, if you are used to watching music documentaries, even sometimes by, like, interesting name directors, like, this is not that, it is, like, there is a level of artistry that you usually don't see in a music documentary, which is really exciting, uh, and, like, fits the Velvet Underground really well, because that is just, they, they're just, like, kind of a, a shocking band, uh, um, yeah, I, you know, I think I am someone who loves the Velvet Underground, I don't, I know those first two albums a lot, the John Cale albums, a lot better than I know the Doug Yule albums, but, yeah, uh, it's a great movie, and, like, Todd Haynes is one of my absolute favorite directors. I also got to see, um, there was a discussion 
of the film and also kind of that era uh it was like it's it you can listen to it on the film comment podcast now uh it was todd haynes ed lockman uh, the two editors of the film, and then Amy Talbin, who's one of the interview subjects who was in that scene. And they, uh, he said, uh, Todd Haynes made the decision to only interview people who were, like, there, uh, in that scene, which is, I think it makes it, uh, maybe a more coherent product, just that, like, you're not, like, taking a bunch of tangents to be like, this is what this person thinks of the Velvet Underground, and this is what this random academic thinks of them. It's all just, like, these are the perspectives of the people who were there. Um, And, like, not all were, like, directly involved with it. Obviously, like, Talbin was part of the Warhol factory scene, but not involved directly with the band. And, like, there's, like... People like Jonathan Richman, who is a fan of them, uh, while they were active. Uh, yeah, I just really like it. It's really cool. Uh, and it's gonna be on Apple TV Plus, as well as in theaters, this weekend. Yep. Yep, Friday. So everyone can see it. Uh, it's great. Uh, check yep. it out. And as I said all last time, I, you know, I've heard three Velvet Underground songs in my <laughs> life. It's not like I love the Velvet Underground, and I think it is a very engaging, worthwhile watch, regardless of, or, like, regardless of or not, or whether you are a fan of the Velvet Underground. I think there is mm-hmm. a lot of interesting contextual stuff in it, just like how it's made. It's very good. But anyway. Yeah. Vortex. Gasparnoid's mm-hmm. Vortex. Yeah. My least favorite film I've seen this year, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's fine. Um you know, there was like some talk about it being Noe's like most mature film and it's like maybe it is but if it is that's a bad thing he should not be making mature films he should be making buck wild shit that maybe isn't good but is fun to watch um this is just like mostly pretty boring the split screen device is like very rarely uh matters it's just like uh, I don't know. There's nothing, nothing interesting about it. It's simply just not especially good in any way. Uh, yeah. That's, I think, nothing else needs to be said about Vortex. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, if I were to just dig on it a little more, that I don't, I don't think it's very mature is my thing. I think it's like a very I think it's like sort of amateurish and sort of like not well observed. <laughs> so I don't know. I there's like almost no redeeming qualities. I think it's a boring movie. But we can move on. Into talking about yeah. shorts? I think I'll just Yeah. Ask you all of, There's a bunch of I'll shorts. ask Do you wanna hit 
or yeah, or just have I, Jesse hit the highlights with shorts. Or I will ask you yeah. about the shorts, and if you do not remember anything about them, you, you can, can just say pass. You can just say pass. <laughs> Great. Do not circulate. Fine. I'm gonna give one word answers on some of these, even if it's not a pass. Dreams Great. under confinement. Also fine. In flow of words. Pass. All of your stars are but dust on my shoes. This one is the highlight from the first program. Uh, There's not like a ton to say about it. It's just like a weird collage of images that's kind of like... stream of consciousy and goes in a lot of different directions um i'm trying i the 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 theme it's kind of starting from is like um i think lighting not like like uh, light uh, electrical lights and like ways in which that his light or the absence of light can be an oppressive force, but it goes in a lot of different directions from that. Uh, it it, it it's just kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kinter Toten leader. Boring. Day is done. Pass. 38. All I remember is that after this, between this and the next one, there was another short that I slept through. Sycorax. Sycorax oh. <laughs> uh, is the Matias Pinheiro, uh, Lois Patina short. Uh, one of the more high-profile shorts in the uh, selection, which is about uh, this character in uh, The Tempest who is very much on the periphery of the play, uh, a witch, and it like starts with the casting of the character, uh, Agustina Munoz, who is the lead of Hermia and Helena and has been in many of uh, Pinero's films. It's playing a uh, director uh, and it, it casts someone to play Sycorax. And uh, then it then there's like some stuff about uh, their like rehearsal or like uh, her process of getting into the character, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think that that's obviously the Pinero side of it is the Shakespeare. I'm under the impression that like the kind of nature element is more what uh, Patino is bringing to it, uh, which is also interesting. There's like a lot of trees. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good. I wouldn't, you know, I'd take another look at it. Uh, this, As I said, I was just coming off of a nap. Uh, how long of a nap so, are we talking? How long was the uh, the short in between? I think like twenty minutes. Okay, somewhere in there. Sure. Okay. The capacity for adequate anger. 
This is one that was also in the wavelength section at TIFF, uh, which was a much smaller selection than the short selection in Currents. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's just like a kind of essay film, uh, that is the director reading, uh, just kind of getting out some of her thoughts, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't love it, but it's interesting. Um, a human certainty. Pass. Okay. Um, home when you return. This one I liked a lot. Um, it is by the director Carl Elsasser, and what it's doing is, uh, it has these two things that he's bringing together. There's, uh, this house that his grandmother lived in that is, like, being cleaned out and eventually sold, and then... There's this director, Joan Thurber Baldwin, who did, like, amateur melodramas in the 50s, who he just, like, found her films in this archive somewhere in New England, and they were, like, happy to let him use parts of them for this film. And so it's kind of, like, weaving those two things together, and, like, sometimes there's, like, uh... Sometimes there'll be, like, voiceover that's stuff from the film over footage from the house, or, like, it's very interesting, and there's, like, this kind of theme of, uh, redaction or elision of names, I guess, that I found interesting, even though I don't know to what end it necessarily was, but, uh, this is one that, like, this is... Maybe my favorite of the shorts that I saw. I would say, like, uh, Seek It Out. Okay. Cutting the Mushroom. This is a fun one. That's th this section that we're in now that's cutting the mushroom through uh, reach capacity is going to be the last one is probably my favorite section. Though I also liked the... Uh, one that was on film that we're going to get to later. Uh, so, uh, Cutting the Mushroom is, uh, based on emails that this guy was, uh, trading with some guy in Russia who was putting these paintings up for sale, uh or for auction on some website that we never find out what it is. Uh, it's just like, he's like a weird character. He's like, it's clear that he's like never totally telling the truth. And like, there's a point it, and like, it seems like it, it seems like he's, I don't think that this guy is paying very much for these paintings, so it's not necessarily, like, a, like, the, the, 
it sounds like there's plenty of times where like he's the only one baiting on them. So it's not like a good scam, but he's kind of scamming things because sometimes he'll be like, "Oh, I thought that this was a uh, a copy of a Picasso, but it turns out you just bought a Picasso drawing from me." And so then like there's stuff about him trying to get it authenticated and he's always like oh yeah i'll send you some information uh it's very funny uh the the title comes from cutting the mushroom is he's like uh there's a there's a phrase that we have in uh in Russian that translates to cutting the mushroom and i am sure that i'm not cutting the mush that i'm not cutting the mushroom with you uh, which basically just means that he's not, uh, feeding him bullshit, which it sounds like he is. Uh, but yeah, this is a fun one. Estuary. Pass. <laughs> the Canyon. Uh, this one I also liked. It's by Zachary Epcar. Uh, and it's like... It has some of that, like, image collage element, but there's also, like, um, stuff that was shot, I guess, on a soundstage, like, very starkly with, like, people against a black background. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe, and it's, not something that I remember super well, but I remember quite liking it. Okay. Reach capacity. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Erica Beckman, who uh, has been around for a while, I think. Uh, and it's about, it's, this is, this is another, like, kind of fun, weird one that's, like, based on this board game that was, like, uh, kind of a knockoff of Monopoly, except it was, like, there was a capitalism side of the board and a socialism side of the board, uh, but it's, like, a weird, like, musical kind of, like, uh, it's, like, weird music, like, the thing, the thing that it made me think of, and it's not animated, it's live action, but it kept reminding me of, uh, in tone and somewhat in con, con uh, content, because there is, like, some construction stuff, as it kept reminding me of Bob the Builder, uh, but I don't know. It's just like a weird little thing that's fun to watch. Sounds good. Now, this is a mm -hmm. feature, right? What we're thought Yes, we've got a couple of features coming What do up. we see when we look at the sky by Alexander Kobritz? Yeah, so this is one that was... Um, it was one I was really looking forward to, and so only in that sense, like, vaguely disappointing, just because I, like, I liked it a fair amount, but I was, it just, like, is, the, uh, based on some of the reactions that I'd heard out of Berlin, I was expecting to be maybe a li just, like, more into it than I was, but it's, like, a kind of magical realist, 
love story about these two people who meet and fall in love and then are cursed to not be able to recognize each other. Uh, and then, like, and so they, like, literally are, like, for most of the film after they first meet are played by different actors. Uh, like, they just, like, look different and so can't recognize each other. And then, like, most of the film is just, like, them working in the same cafe, not realize because they're, like, they're working for the same guy, but, like, the woman is working in the cafe, and the guy is, like, working, like, running this, like, game on a bridge near the cafe, and so they, like, aren't really talking and don't realize that they are the people who had fallen in love with each other, uh, and yeah, the, it, it's a very thin plot. Uh, the director, Koberidze, Alexander Koberidze, was saying in the Q&A that, like, he didn't write a script. He wrote, like, a 60-page story, basically. And then, like, uh, just, like, left a lot of room for stuff to come up uh it doesn't even really seem like 60 pages of story it's like feels more like 10 maybe uh but you know i'm sure he had like different ideas in that story of like stuff that could maybe go in but then he very much like he just kind of shot it in this small town in georgia there's a lot of stuff about soccer because the world cup was going on uh there's some stuff with dogs where, like, he was saying, like, oh, there were a lot of dogs in my last film, and he was, and, and like, I don't know if I really want to, like, make dogs my thing, but then, like, dogs kept showing up, and I was like, I guess dogs are going to be characters in this one, too. Uh, it's just, and it's it's quite long. It's two and a half hours, and, like, kind of feels it, but, like, it's a pleasant two and a half hours, even if not a short one. Sure. I think. Uh, so, yeah. And movies putting it out in November. I definitely would recommend... If you can see it in a theater, especially, which might be tough, like... Try to do that. And I'd like to see it again. I wonder if, like, having a better idea of what it is, I might respond... Excuse me. <sighs> More strongly to it. Um, but yeah, I like it quite a bit. Come on, come on. Yeah. yeah. One of the, the big ticket items. Uh, yeah, I liked, uh, I liked it a lot. It's n not as good as 20th Century Woman, Women, but I do think is about on the level of beginners. Um... You know, it's Joaquin Phoenix and this kid, uh, who's his nephew, uh, and then Gabby Hoffman is the, his sister, the kid's mother, uh, and Scoop McNary is in it, which I didn't realize, uh, until, he's not in it a lot, he, he is playing the kid's father who, sure. uh, the reason that she is leaving her son with phoenix is that he is like having a breakdown they had like mm -hmm. split up but he's like 
having a breakdown again, sure. and she's got to go uh, basically make sure that her uh, kid's father doesn't, like, completely fall apart. Uh, and he is very... He, you mostly see him in the kind of, like, males type, like, this is a little montage of what happened before the movie or of something that's happening to the side. That's mostly his kind of... Yeah role in the movie is to be in those um and he he is quite good uh in that role uh but yeah phoenix is really good i feel like a lot of people are like not into it um yeah i don't know i don't really get why people not like not not that like people are hating it they're just like eh, it's whatever uh i don't know it's like just like very well observed about like in my opinion something that i like have some experience with is just like what it means for a parent to have like a nervous breakdown or to like not be dealing well with their mental health crises uh yeah i think it does a really good job of like what that means for the family and for a young child uh and how like uh that affects the parents relation that the child's relationship ultimately with both of their parents uh is something that it's really uh, it just does a really good job of kind of portraying. Yeah. Uh, Did you like the kid? And he, yeah, the kid's good. I, I didn't. I didn't think he was. People are like, "This is the best kid performance I've ever seen." He's just like a precocious kid. He's sure. pretty good. Now we're back um, to shorts, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. This is the last section of shorts I saw. It is the uh, one that is in. Uh, that was projected on film. Earth, Earth, Earth. Yeah, this is another one that was uh, at wa- uh, Wavelengths in Toronto, uh, and I think it premiered at Berlin, uh, and it's directed by Daichi Saito, uh, who has been around for a little while. He actually... Uh, he teaches it. He was there because he teaches at SUNY Binghamton along with the director of the last short in this program that I'll talk about when we get to it. Uh, and their chemistry was like very funny. They were like, yeah, we tried to make a film together and it really, it didn't work because like Daichi Saito, because uh, basically they were like, the other guy was like, yeah, Daichi, I like threw out some ideas. And then Daichi Saito was just like, uh, yeah, go do that. And then it didn't work. Um, but yeah, they were funny together. Uh, but yeah, this is like, uh, it's just like, it's a very, like, not a lot going on, just like, looks very cool. Uh, it's like these landscapes that he's doing all sorts of different image treatments to the, different treatments to the film. Uh, so there's just like, cool color stuff, and looks weird and interesting. Uh, the soundtrack, uh, which was improvised, done by this guy Jason Sharp, is also really cool. Uh, 
who I who Saito has worked with before. Uh, yeah, you know, I like. Excuse me, jeez. Uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, check it out. I think it it looked great on film, but I think also would look cool. Uh, just seeing it wherever, even if you have to watch it on the computer, if that is something that becomes available. Tonali. Yeah, this is like very much just like a bunch of images put up on the screen, often double exposed. Uh, it's directed by a collective called uh, Colectivo Los Ingravidos. Uh, and yeah, it's got this just like, you know, it's very repetitive, just like a bunch of imagery, uh, a lot of skulls. Um, that's my main memory, just a bunch of skulls. Um, okay. But yeah. Um, fiction. I mean, this is, like, similar, but, like, even more abstract, where I was truly just, like, I do not know what I am looking at watching this film. Uh, it's just a bunch of some kind of images that I guess they captured in some way. Um, yeah. Okay. Um... Onto six, seven, me two variations, variation one. So this is the one that was. It's by uh, Tomonari Nishikawa, who's the other guy who worked at Sunny Binghamton, and uh, it is a. Uh, it was actually a live performance that he did where. As I understand it, what he is doing is, like, scraping the film as it is being projected. And so, you know, it it's, it's hard to describe. It was like there'd be, um, like, kind of thicker, scraggly lines and then finer, straighter lines alternating back and forth. Um, I feel like I was, because I'd just seen a bunch of, like, very abstract stuff, and this was just, like, truly just a bunch of lines. I There's no have, images like, other than that on the film? It's just whatever he's no, it's live like, putting onto the film by screaming yeah, it? It's, okay. Yes. It's, yeah. It's just, yeah. Um... How long and did yeah, it for? <laughs> a long time. Uh, how long is it? Twenty-five minutes, according what? to Letterboxd. I think it was something like that. Uh, yeah, and there definitely is like it was going through like different phases of what he was doing, but it was like it started with this one type of line, and then maybe like five type five minutes in, this other type of line comes in, and I was like. Okay, so he's gonna keep adding things, and then he didn't, and so I kind of tuned out, and then towards the end I was like, oh, he is kind of, like, shifting what he's doing, but I hadn't really been tracking it, um, 
so yeah, it's like apparently he does, he says it's 672 variations variation 1. He he does plan on doing like other things with this kind of method. Um uh-huh. It doesn't sound like he, so the in the Q&A some of us like, "Do you know what the next one's going to be?" and he was like, "I don't know. I kind of have a couple of ideas, but like he I doesn't have, to, have like, six tr- ready to go. <laughs> no, he was just like, uh, I I have to try it because like I have a thought of like maybe this would be interesting, but it might not work at all. Great. Um, yeah. Do Pasolini. Okay. So this was a short that played before uh, a feature, which is the next thing. But the the director of the short was there. And he knew the director of the feature. Uh, this is uh, Andre Ujica, who is a Romanian director. He has a pretty success. Uh, he had a film in 2009 that was pretty successful. That was like an essay film uh, called The Autobiography of Nicolae Ceausescu, which is just like taken from a bunch of archival footage from the National Archives of Romania. Um... But yeah, uh, this is like, uh, just, it's, it's a, it's just like stuff that he took from a, uh, documentary about Pasolini, um, scouting locations for the gospel according to Matthew, um, and it's like you know some interesting footage, uh, and then like the most interesting thing probably is that uh, over the credits there's a Tupac song, which uh, people were like, "Huh, okay." Um, and then yeah, the feature that played with this was uh, Nature, which is only an hour long, uh, and it's by this director. Uh, Artavaz Pelishan, who uh, had not made a movie in 30 years. Uh, and so his, his thing is like doing these like essay, similarly to Ujika, I think, doing these essay films that are entirely comprised of pre existing footage. Uh, but like this, because he hadn't made a movie in 30 years was the first time that he was working with digital images. So Ujika was saying, like, in the, in the introduction, like, yeah, I think he, like, thought he wasn't going to be able to finish it because he wouldn't have enough footage. And then someone taught him about YouTube, and he was like, ah, there's so much stuff! Um, but yeah, it's basically just, like, uh, an hour of footage of various natural disasters uh it's like uh parts of it are like very scary it's uh like it kind of goes through like different um different like movements of like you'll see a bunch of earthquake footage and then like a bunch of tsunami footage and then some tornado footage and it's like 
when it gets most scary is when there are like actual people in the footage and you're like seeing what their responses to the disasters are which isn't very often a lot of it is like much more impersonal like uh further away footage there's also just like a lot of footage of water that looks very very cool uh but yeah it's there's not a lot to it but again it was uh, a pretty it was like a an activating way to spend an hour okay um returning to rain's fragment yeah Fragments. um this is the last current feature i saw it is this story told in two halves based off of, I think, like a memoir that this guy Didier Erebon wrote, uh, and it's being read by Adele Hanel. And the first half is like this guy's, it's all through like the lens of like sort of the French working class and like politics and, but it starts with like the story of this guy's family and then the second half is like a much like broader political view. Uh, and it's like fine. I don't know. I didn't get a whole, it's a lot of it like, you know, at the end it's like, yes, we do uh, the, capitalism is terrible, uh, it, we need to make social change, but, like, it, I don't get the impression that it's gonna, like, change anyone's mind. It felt very much just, like, preaching to the choir, uh, which, like, uh, kind of bore out in the sort of muttering I heard after, uh, the screening, which was, a mix of, like, people being like, yeah, yeah, that's right, and people being like, ah, that was awful. Uh, and yeah. And then the last thing I saw, the, the closing night saw, film. Yes. Is the first thing in a while I will ask you questions about. Sure. Pa Parallel Mothers, Madres Paralelas. Mm-hmm. The new film from, uh, Pedro Almodovar, which is, uh, Really great. Uh, maybe we will kind of frame this as, like, uh, asking questions. Because I very much, like, didn't know where it was going with its story and, like, enjoyed being surprised mm -hmm. by a lot of the turns that it took. I will say, like, not knowing anything, I was like, oh, because, like, the still is of, like, them being pregnant and it's... So I thought maybe more of it would be, like, about the the process of their Becoming pregnancy, the but, it's but it's not that. It's very much, like, uh, it's, like, she has sex with this guy very early on in the film, and then it just, like, cuts to her in the maternity board about to give birth, uh, and meeting this much younger woman who is her roommate who also is giving birth. Uh, and then, yeah, they both have uh, these daughters. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that happens. And it also is, like, tied up with this guy who 
is the father of the child she initially meets because uh she's a photographer and she's photographing him but he's like a, he's an archaeologist and so uh her great-grandfather had been killed at the beginning of the Spanish Civil War and was kind of along with a bunch of other men from their village and was just kind of like dumped into this mass grave but they know where the mass grave was because one of the people wasn't actually dead and so got out of it and told them where it was and so she she asks him uh and the organization that he works for to uh uh dig this dig it up so that they can like give them proper burials and so that's the other kind of thrust of the film other than these two mothers uh and i think they work together pretty well um i don't know i haven't like fully formed thoughts about it and again it's hard to get into without uh, uh, spoiling things about it, but there's, like, I think there are, it's interesting, because, like, in some ways, Parallel Mothers, I think, is, like, a very ironic title, because they very much are not, uh, their, their motherhoods very much do not happen in Parallel, they're very much intersections, um, but there are, I think, parallels between, sort of, I guess, like, their relationship, uh, and I should say, the other woman is, I don't think I even said that, the main woman is played by Penelope Cruz, uh, the older woman, and she's, like, the, she is very much the protagonist, but then this other younger mother is played by Melina Smith, who's a, a new actor, uh, and she's also great, uh, but yeah, the, I think there are kind of parallels between their relationship and what's going on and the sort of larger political context of the film that would be interesting to go through uh and like kind of dig into deeper but i just think it's really excellent i don't know uh they're both really wonderful in it uh i think i i heard that uh at one of the q and a's uh Pedro Almodovar was like, oh, you, you need to remember both of them when uh, when Oscar time comes. Penelope Cruz should be getting a, a lead actress nomination, but you should remember Milena Smith in supporting as well, mm. uh, which was nice, even though I'm sure that's not going to happen because she's a, like an unknown. Uh, but she right. is really great, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was that was sweet of him obviously he's just such a charming guy yeah sure. uh, and it's exciting because i think I he's like know. very good at writing the type of movie you described but just like things revealing themselves throughout and just sort of like changing the context yeah happens. like julieta is obviously that julieta yeah, is maybe the best that has ever been in a movie but like even like right. broken embraces a movie we've talked about in the past also has some element of that right volver is like 50 50 like so things revealing themselves and these people li living these lives right yeah yeah and speaking uh, speaking of broken embraces i think penelope cruz has said that like she first saw the script for this film uh like after all about my mother uh but in broken embraces 
there is a poster for uh parallel mothers yeah uh someone found that That's uh great. but yeah it's uh it's quite good i don't know do either of you have any more specific questions about it um i don't know any good supporting players beyond the two of them um, I mean, Rossi De Palma is good in it. She's not in it a ton. The, I don't know the name of the guy who's playing, uh, the father of Cruz's child. Uh, his name is Israel Elehalde. He's pretty good, too. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they're all, like, good, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah. I guess like the two. Oh right, he's the guy from. He's one of the guys from uh, Magical Girl, which is uh, a, a like a movie that never really came out in the U.S. Uh, um, uh, by a director named Carlos Vermut. That's like uh, a kind of weird. It, it it very much has some like Almodovar influence. Uh, but yeah, I like that movie. He's good in that. Uh, that's where it, that's where I recognize him from. Okay, cool. And I guess because the thing, a thing I think his career has been associated with in the past, have been like interesting, like sexual dynamics, stuff that might be considered a little digressive in some parts. Maybe a, a couple of instances of like weird violence but his re- more recent run of movies have, have seemed more like straightforwardy drama just like done in an interesting way does it have any elements of other sort of stuff of like those elements of his previous work um i wouldn't say there's, there's definitely like some interesting sexual dynamics i wouldn't say anything is like especially transgressive um I mean, like, you, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little bit more than, like, the last couple. Um, yeah. Like, it's, it is closer to, like, I mean, I think, like, he is sort of in this, it it, it has stuff in common with, like, the last two films, uh, Julieta, and Pain and Glory, just, like, formally, and, like, he's kind of sort of settled down a little bit, maybe, which is in an interesting way where, like, they still look really incredible, um, but, uh, there is maybe some, I don't know if it goes back to, like, the really early stuff where there is, like, really transgressive stuff, but there, it may be, it, it's closer to, like, a Volver or something like that. Yeah, or, like, Broken Embraces, which also has some of that stuff. Right. I think that's all I got. Andy, you got anything? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, that, that I'm really excited to see that movie. It's, you know, it started, they're doing a platform release starting at Christmas. Um, yes, it will be, I believe, they, they uh, Florence Almanzini at the introduction of the screening I was at said that it will be playing at Filament Lincoln Center on Christmas Eve. Right. Um, and then, obviously, there's, like, all this stuff. Like, it's not Spain's Oscar submission or whatever, but, like... Sure. They, you know, Sony Pictures Classics will probably still push it for stuff in other categories, and, and we'll see. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I would like to see that movie soon. It's really good. I will probably watch it twice this year or whenever I can watch it. I will probably watch it yeah. a lot because mm-hmm. I enjoy him. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to talking about it more. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, I've been being very evasive. Right. Uh, There's, I've heard it's this fair. It's season. one of those where you don't want to know a lot. Yeah. Um, don't spoil parallel mothers. Hashtag don't spoil exactly. parallel mothers. <laughs> don't spoil the parallels. <laughs> what are the parallels and what are the perpendiculars? <laughs> we will never know. Jesse. <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. What did you feel? How do you feel about New York Film Festival overall? Uh, I think the main slate was like incredible, uh, and like obviously I like saw some stuff at TIFF that was in the main slate, and like probably the three favorite things from the main slate are things that I saw at TIFF. Those being Drive My Car, Petite Maman, and Memoria. All of which I think we'll talk about at a later time. Uh, maybe, Will maybe we talk on. About Memoria? Well, I was gonna say maybe <laughs> when we're all reconvened on this week's the the episode we have coming out this Friday, we'll talk more about that Memoria stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we should we should call we should email neon and be like uh you should fly us all to see sure right or (laughs) do like a specific like can i kick it four week run where each of our locations (laughs) gets the movie yeah for a month like they just pick a month and it's can i kick it month for memoria and we each get to see Uh it one week after the other would we have to do four episodes on memoria I don't know. We'd we'd figure something out if they if if they yeah. would make that accommodation for us. We would certainly figure out a way to give them adequate coverage of Memoria. I think. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get in touch with Nia. Sure. Um, like, but yeah, Memoria at the Maya West Puerto Rico. I'm sure I can do it if on it. <laughs> but uh, and I guess even just apart from just straight up the movies that played, do you have any thoughts on the differences between TIFF and NEF this year? Sure. I mean, I was also going to say that, like, this was only the second year of Currents, and, like, comparing it to last year, I think the the shorts were, like, shorts are always going to be a mixed bag, and, like, I think there was, there's always going to be some cool stuff, and that was the same. The features I felt like, and I did, you know, both years I did miss a few of them, but I've seen the majority from both years. I felt like last year's features were a lot stronger. Um, there were, a f- there were a lot that I thought were like pretty good, but like there were a couple last year that I really, really liked, and there. That makes sense because like currents, like making a currents movie like in the pandemic time seems like it's like harder and like they're also maybe 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 and they're also like maybe less they were less likely to be like we're not doing it last year so like there was more stuff that was just available last year maybe maybe. i don't know maybe would be my theory as to that that's possible uh yeah that's interesting um but yeah in terms of in general um I don't know. I feel like, I mean, it's hard not to compare it to TIFF and like, 
with the direction that Tiff seems to be going, I am more interested in attending New York going forward. Like, it maybe always has been, like, a little bit more, like, focused towards what my tastes are, but in the past, Tiff has been able to make up for that with, like, being just, like, much bigger, and, like, they're always gonna have so much stuff that, like, most of the stuff that you're interested will be there. Uh, and so, like, in the past, it was more a matter of, like, ah, they're both gonna have some good exclusives, they're both gonna have some exclusives, and it's, like, New York might have a few that are more exciting to me, but Tiv is just gonna have way more in general. Uh, and now it's like, eh, they both have some exclusives, but, like, New York is gonna have more of the stuff that I want to see. Even if a lot of the best stuff that I saw, I saw at TIFF. Uh, so I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, and, like, we, again, like I've said a bajillion times, we don't really know how much of the direction that TIFF has been taking is this these past couple of years is because of the pandemic uh or versus just like actual changes they want to make like i i think i said i'd heard rumblings that some of these changes would reflect but like ultimately we don't know and like their uh i forget what joanna vicente's title was but like her and bailey were like the kind of the top people at the festival and she left for Sundance after this year's festival so right and I don't know if she I she has there's been no replacement announced yet I don't know if there will be one um sure or if it's just going to be like Bailey will have more responsibilities and like other people will kind of move up a little bit and mm -hmm. fill in uh, for some yeah. of the stuff he won't be doing anymore. Uh, but, so, yeah. When we saw that email, us being like, Tiff to Sundance is an interesting move for somebody to make. It is. Yeah. I think so. Um, and again, like, maybe that's reflective of, is Tiff becoming a less interesting place to work? Or is it, like, could she be part of the reason why Tiff was a less interesting place to work? Who knows? Uh... Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I'm. It's. I, it feels so hard to judge in just like given circumstances of like everything. Like it just. Yeah, like I. I don't know how we can make a judgment call until like maybe next year. Like at the at the earliest. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows what next year will look like? Just in general. Yeah. I have had the thought of of like. I feel like we've all had the attitude of being like yeah, well, this is, like, the end of all the COVID stuff, and next year, it, like, won't be back to the old normal, but we'll at, we will at least have found a new normal, and I am sort of, like, being yeah. like, I don't know if that's true. I, like, maybe it'll still be, like, weird in particular by this time next year. Yep, it's possible. I, I mean, yeah, it's, like, there's, like, still getting handled, like, what the seasonal waves of everything is gonna be, I think, is, like, very much right. a work in progress but uh yeah i mean i do think like the chances that next year's tiff are like the uh, the closest to normal like more normal than this year 
are right. pretty good, I think. I mean, unless things, like, get substan- substantially worse, people will go into TIFF next year, having known for a long time that it will be possible to travel to Canada. Right, yes. Which was not the case this year. Yeah. People, yeah, yeah be able to... But like, I, I guess I thought, it's things like, things for things for things I do wonder if, like... Because I think one of those conversations, people, I don't know why I decided to take this down a deep route at the end of this already long episode. I mean, it's but, uh, an interesting conversation. It, it, had, I think the conversation has been had of, like, will people go back to the theaters if people are people too used to, like, watching stuff at home? And I, and it's like, that has sort of, like, not borne itself out, I guess, like, looking at box office numbers and whatever. But I do wonder if there's, like, a film festival version of that, of just, like, well, people this year are just, like, going to, like, New York or, like, their local film festival or, like, going to different places. So maybe just, like, going forward, people will be less convinced about having to go to TIFF to, like, do coverage or, like, see the movie they want to see and stuff. And I wonder uh, maybe there will be there will be some sort of knock-on effect. I don't, yeah, yeah I don't, I don't know. know. I, do I feel, think people, yeah. people like TIFF. Right, I think, like, it's, like, people like going to the film festival, Yeah, and, like, too much of the media is just New York-based, I think, for New York to be, like, as exciting to them, necessarily. Right, yeah. I mean, like, we talked with David Sims about this, about how, like, it's just, like, if you're, if you have a job in New York, even if it's a media job, it's hard to get them to be, like, we're going to give you two weeks off to just do movies at New York, uh, right. New York. whereas, like, Toronto, it's, like, it's a week or a week and a half, and, like, right. you're actually going there, and there's so many more movies, right. and, and there's more stuff awards the stuff going and, on. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess, the, like, the awards track is it's, the one thing that will, like, never leave Toronto, because that is where things go down. So I can, I, there will always be that. It will always probably. have that. Over New York, I imagine, like obviously Venice and so- yeah, and Telluride right. have its yeah. own sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is like... maybe next year all four of us will do all four. No, we will not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we will not. <laughs> I, this podcast would have to significantly wait, what, increase what the revenue you... for me. Yeah. For what do you mean possible. by wait, what do you mean by yeah. all four? You mean. We would do Venice. Before we just well, talked about te- Venice. Te- you can't do Venice and Telluride, I don't think. They're oh, like yeah. At the you same can't time. do Venice. That's I, true. I'm That's also, right. again, on the also, record. Also, I probably will have school also, doing Venice and on, Telluride. On, so. on the record, I won't, like, I'm, I think I've said on the record, I'm not going to Telluride ever. Like, why would I go to Telluride? <laughs> that truly makes no sense. <laughs> sure. They get good movies sometimes. Truly, I think somebody would have to not only pay for the trip, but also pay me in addition to the trip for me to go to Telluride. I mean, yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. Right. And also, we're going to get a... Learn the powers of time travel so we can go to both Venice and tell you. Right. Well, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> no, we'll we'll go to Venice and then we'll take a jaunt over to uh, Colorado for the weekend and then we'll go back to Venice. And also, I'll be at school at the same time. I feel yeah. like I feel, uh, yeah, I feel maybe like some time travel. I am, Tiff. I don't yeah. know if it makes sense to go Venice, tell you around <laughs> Venice, then Tiff, then New York. Well, we'll see. 
Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. And then we'll also have done uh, can next by by that point too. So, yeah. I, I mean that would because I think it would truly be more expensive to go to Telluride than just to go to Can, and that would be like such a. That's I don't know true. about that. Maybe. Uh, okay. I, I guess it would depend if we were pressed in either of those places would really. I don't know if that would make a difference. Yes. I, I, getting the t- again, I think we often can talk, talk about and concern about like getting the tickets when like going to like rich people Colorado where would, you would have to take like three flights and going to and like flying to France are both yeah. much more of my concern. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anyway, that's the end of the episode. Are we doing plugs here? Yeah. I guess we're just doing mi- we're doing I don't we're, think we're, we're really doing minor doing... plugs. You can follow me on Twitter. Right. At I'm left alone. Jesse. You can follow the podcast at Can I Kick It or on Twitter or CIKI Pod on Letterboxd. You can follow me on either of those platforms at JCP Wow, full spelling today. That's exciting. Yeah. Every uh, once in a while. Yeah. I'm Andy T. Germ on those things, uh, Letterboxd and Twitter and and I guess, like, Instagram, too. But, like, that's private. So I don't know if I would accept you if I don't recognize you. Um, yeah. Uh, and if you want to if you want to support us enough that we can consider going to multiple film festivals next fall, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to give me a quit-my-job amount of money, uh, our coffee would be a great yep. way to do that. ko-fi.com slash K-N-I-C-A-N-N-E-S. Yeah, we um, are, we do accept donations that are in excess of a million dollars. We won't, we the, won't The platform can definitely handle that, I'm sure. I haven't looked into that at all, but I'm sure you, if you just type in, I want to give Can I Kick It a million dollars into coffee, they'll be like, sure. Yep. It'll just show up in my PayPal account. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Jesse, why don't you uh, do, say the last thing that we say? Yep. We're going to release our Bye-bye. audience. Bye. Bye-bye.